Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. Well, let me get to my assignment. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. A very familiar passage. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed. This word revealed literally means made clear, made plain, made manifest, made known, and made visible. Some translations say it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, not as he was, as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, I read to you First John for a reason, and give me a few minutes just to lay a little bit of foundation. The reason I read to you First John is because I've been stuck in First John. Anybody that has listened to any of the messages I've preached over the last couple of years, it feels like I've barely been able to get out of First John for quite a while. And one of the reasons why is First John is the only book in the Bible that tells us in noun form who God is. First John chapter 1, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. First John 2 and 3, God is life. First John 3, 4, and 5, God is love. All of those three are the only nouns that describe the very nature and character of God. It's interesting how every time I put something up on social media like God is love or God is light or God is life, there's always those people that jump on and say, yeah, but... God is also holy, and I say he's absolutely holy. God is full of holiness. He is totally other, but the word holy and holiness is an adjective, and the purpose for an adjective is to further describe the noun. So his holiness is still based on his light, his life, and his love. Someone else will say, but God is righteous, and I'm like, God is absolutely righteous, but once again, righteous is an adjective, and the purpose for him being righteous is his righteousness is based on his light, his life, and his love. And then the big one, people say, but God is just, because for some reason the justice of God and the love of God are at war with each other for some reason in a lot of people's minds. And in the midst of that, rather than realize that, God absolutely is just, but again, just and justice is an adjective, and the purpose for an adjective is to further describe the noun, and God's justice is based on his love, because God God is not retributive, God is not punitive, God is restorative, and he is reconciliatory because fathers don't punish their children, they correct their children. Matter of fact, we even see the picture in the Old Testament, Zechariah 7 verse 9, it tells us practice true justice, declares the Lord, true justice, and he says it's mercy and compassion. So God's idea of justice is not our idea of justice. Our idea of justice is if we were on the cross and we had just been beaten and our beards plucked and, and, and we had lost everything, we probably would have called 10,000 angels 
to come wipe some folks out. Let, let, let's be honest. I mean, just, I know you're more spiritual than me, but uh, most of us would have called the angels down. Instead, God's response to ju- injustice is mercy and compassion. Father, forgive them. They know not what they, they do. Matter of fact, I, the passage in Isaiah, I've used this passage for years. When everybody asked me a question I didn't have an answer for, because this is the go-to Christian phrase. Well, you know, I don't know, but all I do know is God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In other words, if I don't know an answer, I just regurgitate a verse out of context. Because when you go back to that verse in context, it actually is talking about God's mercy on the wicked. And how, In other words, God was saying, my thoughts that are higher than yours and my ways that are higher than yours is I'm nicer than you are. I'm more compassionate and more merciful than you are. You are retributive. You want punishment. I actually am not that way. You have misunderstood me. And so everything we must start with when it comes to the scriptures is you start with the nature of God and his nature is he is light, he is life, and he is love. Everything else flows out of that. Because if that's not your foundation, then you're going to have all kinds of crazy ideas of who you think God is. Your, your God's going to be the Greek God Janus. He turns this way and he's got a big smile on his face. He turns this way and he's scowling. And for those of you that don't know who the Greek God Janus is, how about Tommy Two-Face from Batman? But John here is telling us something very powerful. He said, beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Can I just say this? It's not yet been revealed what the way church shall be. It's not yet been revealed what your marriage shall be. It's not yet been revealed what your family shall be. It's not yet been revealed what your physical body that you're dealing with shall be. It's not yet been revealed what your children shall be. It's not yet been revealed what your bank account shall be. But when he is revealed, One revelation of him changes everything because the more I get a revelation of him, the more I get a revelation of myself. Because how I see him is how I see me. And then ultimately how I treat other people. And isn't it interesting, he said, those that have this hope, they purify themselves even as they are pure. Now, wait a minute. Why would you need to purify yourself if you're already pure? I mean, I don't know about you, but I was raised classical Pentecostal, and, and we stayed away from that verse unless we were going to talk about the rapture or second coming because we, we, we interpreted it a total different way. Because why would you purify yourself if you're already pure? But we weren't pure because I don't know about you, but I got saved at least 100 times before I was 15 years old. I mean, my, my relationship with God is he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm in the kingdom. I just got kicked out. My name's in the book. I think it just got erased. I hope there's autocorrect. I got saved over and over and over and over because we were constantly told how impure we were. We were told how useless we were. You got, I, we got right with God every single week because we were never obviously right. So we had to constantly get right. We had to wait. I, I remember as a little boy, I'd wait till the last stanza of just as I am, drag myself to the altar. I mean, I was six, but I was such a heathen. 
because they constantly told us what we were not, constantly told us we were unworthy, constantly told us we were not pure. And this verse is very powerful because it gives us a theological concept that most people have not understood. There's a difference. Theology calls it objective truth and subjective truth. Objectively, you have been perfected forever. That's what Hebrews says. How many of you feel perfect? But you've been perfected forever, past tense. Past tense, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Christ. Past tense, you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. According to Thessalonians, your whole spirit, soul, and body has been, past tense, completely sanctified. I don't know about you, but my body don't feel real sanctified. I need to lose 20 pounds or so. Hmm. According, according to the apostle Peter, by his stripes you were healed. The truth is God isn't healing anybody anymore. He healed everybody 2,000 years ago. The work was finished. You, you, you appropriate it by faith today, and it manifests. But that's the difference between grace and faith. It's so objective and subjective. Objectively, you have already been made pure. But subjectively, now you purify yourself. Because your spirit is already completely pure. But now you have to begin to believe that what God said about you is actually true. And the more you get a revelation of him, the more you get a revelation of yourself. And that hope causes you to not only believe that you are pure, but you begin to live pure. Because somebody's not giving you holiness codes. And they're not saying purity is, is, is dotting the I's and crossing the T's and hemlines and hairdos. And whether you got tattoos or not. But purity has to do with imputed righteousness. And something that was imparted to you outside of you. So it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when he is revealed, one revelation of him changes everything. Now see, we're living in a very unique season in the kingdom. First of all, uh, how many of you in here were born before the year 2000? Good portion of you. You have not. Every one of us born before the year 2000, we have a unique thing that only seven generations have experienced. We are only one of seven cross millennial generations. Do you know that of all of mankind that we have his history for, there's been hundreds of people who've been born in one century and have a foot in another century. But only one of seven that has one foot in one millennium and another foot in another. The reason that's important is because the day with the Lord is a thousand years, the prophet tells us, and a thousand years is as a day. And every time you step into a new millennium, you step into a new day. And when you step into a new day, it's a new way. And when you step into a new day, everything starts to change. I remember in 1999, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, in the first few decades of the new millennium, I'm going to strip from the church everything I never told her to do. He said, all the programs, all the stuff, all the stuff that they're wearing themselves out with. He said, I'm going to start removing it. That's why in the last 20 years, the big buzzword has been deconstruction because people, all the stuff they were taught, all of a sudden deconstructing from it. The problem is a lot of people aren't reconstructing Christ in some of their deconstruction. But then we hit 2020, and now everything shut down, and we couldn't do all the stuff that we were doing before. And I'm convinced that was a good thing because God's maybe trying to get us back to the simplicity of being a household of faith and being family and getting us to a place of continuing the apostles' doctrine, fellowship and building community. Maybe it's just that simple. Maybe all this other stuff that has exhausted us was never something he breathed on in the first place. But this is where most of the church is right now, especially with leaders. Everything most people learned about God 
they learned in this day. And now we're stepping into a new day and everything is changing. And people that are still stuck over here, they're good people, they're godly people, they're going to heaven, they're loved by Jesus. That's not it at all, but this is why, have you noticed how many people are just uncomfortable in the season we're in? It's because this is what's happening, and I'm just telling you, I ain't going any further than that right there. I'm just... Because <laughs> I might never get back up. I'm just... <laughs> but listen, the church right now is doing the splits. And people that learn something, because the prophet said this, he said, on the second day, I'll revive you. But on the third day, I'm going to raise you up to live in my sight. Now, we know that was prophetically speaking of Jesus. But we also, listen, Jesus died and rose from the dead day before yesterday. Because the day with the Lord is a thousand years, thousand years is as a day. And the last thousand years has all been about revival. It's all been about experiencing things. But when we stepped into the new millennium, we stepped into a new day in God, a third day from the resurrection. And he said, on the third day, I'm going to raise you up to live in my sight. And it's literally translated, I know I'm from the north and I talk fast, but stick with me. I'm trying to get everything in a short amount of time. He said, on the third day, I'm going to raise you up to live in my sight. And it's literally translated, I'm going to raise you up so you can see how I see. In other words, he said, I want you to go beyond seeing me hanging on a cross. And I want you to get up to the throne room. I I want you to begin to see a perception. I want you to learn how to live the ascended life. You see, the, the, the difference, the last 1,600 years, first four to 500 years of the church was very different than us. I get accused all the time. People say, you're just trying to come up with all kinds of new stuff. You're getting rid of foundations. I said, actually, you believe in the new stuff. The stuff I'm talking about is what the first 400 years of the church actually taught and believed. And then Augustine jacked it all up. And then Justinian, the emperor, took it to another level and started the Dark Ages. Just study a little church history and realize where some of that comes from. And in the midst of all of that, uh, I realized something powerful a few years ago. That the Western church, Catholic and Protestant, we put all of our focus on the cross because the main problem the Western church believes was the problem was sin. The Eastern Church puts a focus on the resurrection and the ascension because they believe the problem that Adam brought into the world was death. Let's be honest, those of us that have been raised in the Western Church, we hear one sermon a year on the resurrection, Easter Sunday. And yet the early church talked about the resurrection more than they did everything else. They gathered around an event, and the event was the resurrection. And, and, and something changed between his death on the cross and the resurrection to such a degree, and I'd encourage you to read it later in Luke 24, but it talks about the road to Emmaus, or the Emmaus way. Now, allow me to kind of shift a gear and take you somewhere. The word Emmaus means refreshing springs. So the Emmaus way is a place of a refreshing spring. And it says that two disciples were walking and Jesus appears to them and they don't recognize him. I want you to think of this. These these were not just anybody. Jesus had 70 disciples. Out of the 70, he chose the 12 and called them apostles. But that means he still had 58 other people that ran with him on a regular basis. These are people that ate with him, that knew him, that talked with him. They knew what he looked like. But yet post-cross, post-resurrection, when he appears, they don't know who he is. I dare to say that this is where much of the Western church is. 
Jesus is showing up now and actually showing us who he is, and folks don't recognize him. What you're preaching sounds too good. Because we were focused on sin because we think the main problem in the world is a sin problem. Do you know that when God spoke to Adam, he never said, if you eat of this tree, you'll sin. He said, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Jesus came to not just take away the sins of the world because the truth is Jesus was forgiving sin before the cross. He didn't need to shed his blood to forgive you of sins. That, yes, Hebrews says that, but Hebrews tells us in context what needed the blood. He said the law was what demanded the blood, not God. God is not a vampire. He's not Molech. He doesn't have a bloodlust. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's what the law declared. That's why he had to die. But he was forgiving people before the cross. He didn't need to go to the cross to forgive you. He said, if someone take every bed and walk, your sins are forgiven you. He's God. He can forgive whenever he wants. But something obviously took place from his death. He goes to the cross as a brown-haired, brown-beard, Middle Eastern man living in a Jewish culture. And I want to just submit to you that he actually wasn't Jewish. He was just raised a Jew. Because you got your Jewishness from your daddy. Uh, <laughs> you don't get your Jewishness from your mama. That's why Paul speaks to, Tim speaks to Timothy one day and he said, listen, man. He said, I see this great faith in your mother and your grandmother. And, and, and you learn this unfeigned faith from them. But, but, but you're still intimidated because your daddy was a Greek and that means you're actually a Greek and they won't let you in the temple. And Timothy is a grown man. Paul took and circumcised him so he could come to the temple with him. And I was like. But I said to my spiritual papa one day, I said, I love you and I trust you. But I'm just telling you right now that that ain't happening. We, we, <laughs> you want to circumcise a grown man. I want to know, number one, have you been trained? And will there be some serious whiskey involved or some morphine or something? <laughs> Lord have mercy. I said, you talk about trust. I was like, that's another level of trust right there, man. I'm like, nah, I'm good. That's why Jesus was born under the law. Listen to this. Not to keep the law, but to fulfill the law. I've got it several times in my book. Jesus actually broke the law of Moses on a regular basis, but he never broke the law of God. The law of God was always love. He had no problem touching people he wasn't supposed to touch, doing things on the Sabbath he wasn't supposed to do. The reason he got crucified, they were so mad because he was always messing with the law. He was doing stuff he wasn't supposed to do, and they're like, oh, you anger us so much. But he come to fulfill the law. Fulfilling it doesn't mean keeping it. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. And so something obviously took place, and I'm... I'm I've been convinced of this over the last several years. We have people who have met Jesus just like these disciples. Genuinely met Jesus. But the Jesus they met was the Jesus hanging on a cross that took away their sins. But many have not yet met the new covenant Jesus. The one that's on this side of the cross. A lot of our relationship has been with the, with the historical Jesus. But John said we not only need to see him, but we need to see him as he 
is, not as he was. Matter of fact, John tells us this later in 1 John 4. He said, those that have received his love have no fear to stand before God in judgment. They have boldness on the day of judgment. And this is why. Because we are as he is, not, not was. Because you see, all of the disciples struggled through their ministry between the law and grace. And Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face because Peter is over here and he's eating some bacon with the Gentiles and some Jews that show up and he'd hurry up and run away from there acting like he wouldn't be eating no bacon. But once you eat some bacon, man, it gets in your pores, baby. I'm I'm telling you, his breath was full of bacon. He might have been acting like he wasn't eating. They're like, we know. We can smell it all over you. (laughs) Bacon makes everything taste good. I don't care who you are. I'd eat some vegetables if it wrapped in some bacon. Huh? <laughs> Peter constantly, Peter shows up to Cornelius' house. Jesus tells him to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Seven years later, they barely got outside of Jerusalem. Shows up to Cornelius' house after God takes him up and shows them this incredible vision of calling nothing unclean that he has made clean. And he rolls out all this wonderful Texas barbecue and it rolls down and he's like, man, I've never eaten nothing like that. I ain't got nothing to do with that. And he said, take eat for what I have called clean, do not call unclean. And then some guys from Cornelius' house show up and Peter shows up to his house and he said, God told me not to call any man God actually didn't say anything about telling any man. He, he was talking about some barbecue. But then Peter said, that's a metaphor. I'm not to call, listen to this close, I'm not, call, I'm not to call any man unclean that God has made clean. So when did he make everybody clean? 2,000 years ago. So how come everybody ain't acting clean? Because they don't believe they're clean. The only reason you're still acting like a sinner and you're acting crazy is because you don't know who you are. What caused sin to come into the world was a stolen identity. The serpent sewed up and said, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. Adam and Eve should have said, we already are. They were already in his image and likeness, so he deceived them into believing something about themselves that was not true. And because they believed it and they acted on it, that's what produced sin in the world. And so we deal with the fruit. What the Western church has done with is we've dealt with the fruit and we never dealt with the root. And so we preached on sin over and over and over and wondered why everybody kept sinning because the strength of sin is the law. The more you talk about sin, the more people do the sin. Even though God's not counting men's sins against them, but For some reason, we never go to that passage in 2 Corinthians 5. God's not holding your sin against you. He's not imputing it. It's a moog issue. Matter of fact, it's such a moog issue that when you bring your sin up to God, he looks at you and says, I have no idea what you're talking about because I not only forgave you of all of your sin, I cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. I literally have amnesia when it comes to your sin. Maybe that's why James tells us to confess our sins one to another because confessing it to him, he's like, huh? (laughs) maybe the Catholics don't have it all wrong maybe it's because who we sin against is each other maybe we need to make things right with each other rather than constantly saying well I made it good with God well that's good but I can't judge that I have no idea if you made things right with God did you make things right with me did you make things right with that neighbor of yours because that's the issue But you see, when, when, when sin is the main focus, 
and the death and the burial. And listen, we still preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But most of us, that's the main gospel we heard. It's this Jesus over here. I'm convinced one of the reasons why Paul didn't struggle with mixture is because Paul never met the pre-resurrection Jesus. All Paul knew, Paul on the Damascus Road experiences Jesus as he is, not as he was. Because you got to understand something. Not everything in the New Testament is the New Covenant. Not everything in the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Covenant did not start until the resurrection because the testator has to die in order for the covenant to be enacted. So when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking as a Jew to people that were under the law. He was speaking to no Christians because there were no Christians yet. There were no Christians till after the cross. No one had been born again. Are are y'all with me? Listen, that's a huge like wow to a lot of people. That blew me away in 1993 when my spiritual mama told me that. I said, huh? I've been to Bible school five years. Nobody said that to me. See, Jesus was a master. Matter of fact, when he would teach, he taught in parables. He didn't make it plain. Now, he was carrying the new covenant in his blood. He was the personification of what the new covenant looked like. But Jesus would do stuff like this. He would say to his disciples in John 13, he said, as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, but wait a minute, all the disciples were Jews. So what does that mean? He's telling Jews, as I said to the Jews. And they're like, well, we're we're Jews. But every time he says the Jews, he's talking about the religious system. It's not anti-Semitic. What he's saying is, this is what I told all those law keepers. But now I say to you, a new commandment. He's like, I'm giving you a new covenant precept now, a new covenant concept, because most of it was hidden in parables and everything else. And it was actually then, that's why Jesus said something powerful. He said this, he said, it's better for you that I leave. Now, I don't know why, but most of the church has been waiting for Jesus to show up physically to fix everything. But Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I not be here. That'll mess with you if you think it through for five minutes, I promise. He's like, it's actually better for you that I not physically be here so the Holy Spirit can come. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit will come, he's your helper, your paraclete. In other words, he's going to help you fix it. You messed it up, you fix it. You see, most of the church has not wanted that responsibility. We just said, we want Jesus to show up and just magically fix everything. And We've been watching too much TV. That's why the church has been sitting around for years, not involved in the world around us. We've been hiding from them because all we were taught was sin. When I was growing up, man, I heard nearly every Sunday, come out and be ye separate. Come out and be ye separate. <laughs> of course, when you go to the book of Revelation to find out what that's talking about, he's saying come out of Babylon. And Babylon was actually Judaism and religion because Babylon and Egypt is where they crucified the Lord, the book of Revelation tells us, and they crucified him in Jerusalem. What he's saying is come out of law-based religion not come out of the world around you, for God so loved the world. He's not ticked off at the world. He loves. And guess what? He's the savior of the, not the savior from. He's the savior of the world. But you see, when all we put our focus on is the Jesus on this side, then everything is a focus on sin because Jesus Before the cross, it was Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus the law. Matter of fact, that's all the disciples knew was Jesus plus something. But then he rises from the dead. And now it's just Jesus. 
Jesus plus nothing. Now on the other side of the cross, it's not Jesus plus, because Jesus still had to deal with people that were under the law. Jesus would say things like this. He'd say, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. I remember I had a preacher about 20 years ago tell me, he said, man, he said, God spoke to me. If the rapture took place, less than 10% of my church would make it. I was like, wow, really? Where do you get that from? He said, Jesus said, narrow is the way. I said, well, Jesus did say that, but who was he talking to? He said, well, he's talking to us. I said, actually, he was not talking to Jews. He was talking to Jews. And under the law, narrow was the way. Matter of fact, impossible was the way because you couldn't keep the law. That was the whole purpose of giving it. Matter of fact, but now, since he went to the cross, he made the way wide open. Now, whosoever will, he said, I am the, am the way. I am the door. <laughs> he said, I'm changing everything, but no. Watch this, it's extremely important. Are y'all with me? Y'all are thinking, I can see it. I just. You see, if all I know is the Jesus over here, then it's the Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus having to pray rather than enjoying to pray. It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus and. It's it's not just Jesus. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and it says they were talking about his death. I mean, I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Wouldn't that have been an amazing conversation? You're discussing with someone about your death? Matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but Moses' one prayer, his one cry to God, he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, no one can see, see me and live. And so it says he took him and he put him in a rock. He didn't put him just anywhere. He put him in a rock. And then he put his hand over him. Let me just submit to you the purpose for fivefold ministry gifts is to teach you who you are in the rock. And then when we get out of the way, what you're supposed to see is nothing but him, not us. Because what he then saw is he saw his hinder parts. You know what that actually is translated in Hebrew? He saw the ending from the beginning. Let me just submit to you. He saw the alpha. And he saw the omega. So when did he see him? I'm convinced the moment God put him in a rock. God shot Moses 1,800 years. He took him out of time into eternity. Threw him 1,800 years in the future. Dropped him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he began to see the glory. Having a discussion with the beginning and the end with the glory. And when Peter walks up and says, he sees Moses and Elijah, he said, let's build three synagogues. In other words, let's, let's worship the law and the prophets and let's just add Jesus to our religion and call it Judaism 2.0. Instead, the moment he said, let's worship all three, Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is standing there all by himself. And the father says, this is my son, hear him. In other words, their only purpose was to point to him. And I'm convinced that God then shot Moses back up into eternity, took him 1,800 years in the back, dropped him on the mount, and he came down, and the people couldn't look at him because he had the glory of tomorrow on his face. See, it had not yet been revealed what he shall be, but when he is revealed, you see him, it changes everything. Why were these men on the road to Emmaus? You know, one of them, his name was Cleopas. And you know that history tells us that that was Jesus' uncle? Joseph's brother. Can you imagine your own uncle don't even recognize you? Let me tell you, the more you begin to really comprehend the gospel and the more you begin to see Jesus as he is, the less people you used to run with will even recognize you. 
You start talking to them about the Jesus that you serve, and they're like, this is foreign to us. We don't even know who you're talking about. Like, you, You've been going to what church, and they've been teaching you what? It must be cultish. They're teaching you that God is how good? He can't be that good. Because most of the church is still seeing him as he was rather than as he is. Because the more I get a glimpse of him ascended, and not only that, this is the beautiful thing. Not only do I get to see him as he is, I am where he is. According to Revelation, he says, to he that overcomes, I'm going to cause him to sit with me on my throne as I sit with my father on his throne. Matter of fact, he said, you're now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, I need you to listen close to this. You don't just go to heaven when you die. You went to heaven when Jesus died. Because when he died, you died with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he was quickened, you were quickened with him. When he was raised, you were raised with him. And when he was seated, you were... Stop freaking out about whether you're going to get into heaven. Jesus takes care of the heaven issue. You just got to start believing that you actually are where he says you are. And those that have this hope purify themselves as they already are pure. In other words, you're better than you think you are. You're better than you're acting. And I made up my mind, man, when I had a church full of these young Hispanic gangbangers, I'd walk up to them every week and I'd hit them in the chest because I had some big old boys. I'd hit them in the chest and I'd say, you're better than you think you are, buddy. I'm, I'm here to tell you that you're better than you think you are. You're better than you're acting. And I'm going to keep telling you who you are Do you start acting like it. I'm going to speak to the sun in you and not the sin in you. I'm going to begin to speak to well, that light that is already on the inside of you that you didn't even know was there. Because when you begin to see him, now, well, watch this. Help me, Jesus. I got to stop. So what exactly, what exactly changed about Jesus between the cross and the resurrection? How could they not recognize his form? These are people that knew him, his uncle. This guy would have known who he was. How did he not know him? How did he not see him? About eight years ago at my church up in Michigan, God had me preach a series on leprosy. Man, when he started speaking to me about leprosy, bugging me. I'm like, I don't want to talk about leprosy. Lepers. Leprosy is a picture all through the Old Testament of, of sin. It's a, of death. It's, lepers were, were stuck outside the camp. I'm like, why do you want to talk to me about leprosy? Until it hit me that when you study leprosy in the Old Testament, whenever someone was stricken with leprosy, it turned their hair white. Miriam was stricken with leprosy and it says her hair became white as snow. And then it hit me, John the Revelator. Do you know there's one verse in the Bible that explains the whole Bible? Do you know if you just had one verse, you could literally shut the rest down because there's one verse that explains Genesis to Revelation? How many of y'all want to know what it is? Revelation 1, verse 1. A revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. An unveiling. An appearing. It's not a revelation of the future, and it's not the book of Revelations. People that want to argue with me about the book of Revelation, the moment they say the book of Revelations, I'm like, we're not going to have a real intelligent conversation right now. Because it's not a bunch of revelations. It's a revelation. It's an unveiling. An appearing. 
a revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, he is the point. He is the sum. He is the way. He, it's always been about him. But now watch this. When John, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, sees Jesus, he said, I looked up, and his hair and his beard were white as wool. I mean, all of a sudden, it hit me. No wonder the disciples didn't recognize him. I mean, if you saw someone three days before, and they had brown hair and a brown beard, and they were 33 years old, and then all of a sudden, three days later, you see him, and their hair is white, and their beard is white, you probably wouldn't recognize him right away, because you'd be like, man, whoa, whoa, who? Who's this? This don't seem right. But you see, the pre-cross Jesus, the one hanging on the cross was that historical Jesus. And, and we need to watch him. We need to read him. We need to study him. Watch how he treated people. He was there as an example to us. But that's how he was. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. He's like, huh? I want to see him as he is. And I want to just submit something to you that when Jesus went to the cross, he who knew no leprosy, he who knew no sin became sin. That's that's actually been a huge theological argument because there's people that literally teach that he literally became sin. But the truth is it's also translated sin offering. He became a sin offering on the cross. And on the cross, he that knew no sin literally became our sin offering. And when he rose from the dead, he so consumed our sin. It so got in him that it literally turned his hair Now watch this, so that through all of eternity, every time we behold him, we're going to join with the elders and join with the angels. Worthy, worthy is the lamb. He took my sin away for all of eternity. Every time I behold him as he is, I'm going to be reminded. Woo! That in his resurrection, he literally changed everything. That in his resurrection, now he's not just, listen, no matter what these preachers tell you, he didn't come the first time as a lamb and he's coming back as a lion. Matter of fact, we get that from the book of Revelation because the angel said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John turned and looked, all he saw was a lamb. He was a lion in his his attack on death and sin. But the lamb is always going to be a lamb. There's a lamb seated on a throne right now. He's full of white hair and white wool and he's reminding us I did all this for you and I did all this as you and now you're seated with me just see me now as I am and if you'll see me as I am you'll begin to see you as you are and when you begin to see and perceive. That's why, man, you, you didn't sing today by accident and open the eyes of my heart, Lord, because I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's all about, I, I, I want to, one, one, one glimpse. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we that have this Purify ourselves even as we are already pure because all that's happening is we subjectively now need to experience what is objectively already true of us. He already finished it 2,000 years ago, but now you've got to begin to experience it for yourself. You've got to see it because then it'll transform you. Listen, I, I want to just submit this to this house that 
what this house has been releasing over the last two years is the Emmaus Way. This is a refreshing spring in the midst of all kinds of religion. And those two disciples are not an accident. It was two of them because this is your second year anniversary. Two is the number of Jesus because he's the second person of the God, but it's also the number of covenant and it's also the, co- the, 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 the meaning of agreement. And it was an accident that there was two there and the message that got released to those two completely transformed them from one covenant into another covenant and everything that you guys have been releasing over the last two years. That Emmaus way unveiling Jesus to people that maybe he was skewered because a lot of the Jesus that was presented to a lot of us isn't the Jesus that some of you are experiencing today. I was exposed to an angry Jesus, a ticked off Jesus, constantly in a bad mood. I was taught that he came the first time as a lion, but when he comes back, Rambo's coming back to slaughter all of his enemies, even though he tells us to love our enemies, but he's going to come back and slaughter all of his. Kind of seems a little hypocritical, but that's another discussion. it's beautiful he never told us to love his enemies you ever wonder why because he has none how do we know that because no greater love is this than a man laid down his life for his friends and he laid down his life for everybody so he has no enemies he said love your enemies he said I'm going to cause you to spread a table in the presence of your enemies because if you'd ever share a meal you'd find out you got a whole lot more in common than you thought and you might stop being enemies if you'd actually sit in dialogue with each other stop fighting see in this in this season going forward this resurrected ascended life is going to begin to flow out of this place and I'm, I'm telling you I heard this prophetically just to release into this house that way church is not just a church it is a movement and when men aren't moving It's just a bunch of men standing around staring at a cross, staring at a team. There's something when you put the move in the men and you gather around a finished work, it becomes a movement and it brings transformation because sons and daughters are going to be released, not just just out of this house and through this house, but it's bigger than Oklahoma City region. It's other states that are going to be starving for the character and the life that you are carrying on the inside of you. Nations are going to be blessed because of what flows out of this house. Songs are going to flow out of this house. Life is going to flow out of this house, but it's going to be the ascended life. It's going to be the power of the resurrection. That doesn't mean we still don't preach the cross. Yes, Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable to his death. But we don't put the focus on all the sin and all the mess. We put the focus on the son. Because the moment you see him, you're going to start living pure. You're going to live holier by accident than you ever could have on purpose. Because when you see him, you're changed. y'all hear this today I said this this doesn't mean that someone is better than somebody else this is this is not an issue of better it's it's different there's there's wonderful people all around this region that preached this morning and people that were encouraged this morning but they're not purifying themselves as they were pure because they were told this morning how impure they were a few years ago I was sitting with my friend Dr. 
Clint Howes, we were doing a conference together and the Lord had been dealing with me about a verse where Paul said this. He said, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But God kept stopping me at study to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who needs not be ashamed. Then it dawned on me. God said, why is it that most of your studying is to find out what disapproves you and what disqualifies you? He said, I want you to study to show yourself that you are approved of God. A workman who needs not be ashamed. Why? Because he took all of your shame. And if you're rightly dividing the word of truth, if you're an able minister of the new covenant, you're going to be qualifying people, not disqualifying people. You're going to be teaching them who they really are. And that changes that changes everything. Lift your hands. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open our hearts, open our minds. We want to see you, we want to perceive, we want to know and we want to understand. I ask that you seal the seed of this word deep in every one of our hearts and minds. We want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Transform us like you and only you can do, Father. We'll bless you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.